0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
1: Bison are the largest mammal in North America.
0: What can they teach us?
1: Because bison are definitely a keystone species on the prairies. From spreading seeds of the grasses that they eat.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris,
1: and I'm Angie.
0: Angie, I think we just jump into it today. I think we just start talking buffalo, bison, American bison, European bison, whatever. Let's just, just talk bovids. Your favorite?
1: I'm gonna say it feels good to be back in the saddle again, Chris. Uh, it has all the bells and whistles. <laughs> like two days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, they have horns. They have yes. hooves. They are ungulates, so yeah, mm-hmm. fun species that uh, people have been requesting, and it fits right. kind of with this theme that we're in as far as doing iconic animals from the American
0: West. Yeah, the American West. Yeah, so grizzly bear. And, That's what it was You know, a few days ago. Our, black, <laughs> our black-footed ferret, some people might be confused. Uh, somehow it got kicked off our, our stream, so it's back up. It's episode 15. But they were critical to the West, and very, very interesting story. And then Tamra on Instagram would thought it would, this week would be the Kestrel. Sorry, Tamra, we'll get there. But I did link her to your interview you did with the Peregrine Fund. Yes, so I'm talking about the Kestrel.
1: Fantastic interviewer. We'll actually have to get another researcher on that. I love that group, the Peregrine mm-hmm. Fund. They do amazing work, mm-hmm. and they definitely do some research on Kestrels and. And the castor is one of the first birds of prey I have got to work with uh back in my days as a zookeeper. So, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. little Aramis made me fall in love with birds yeah. of prey. But they're a beautiful bird of prey and very special to my heart, for sure.
0: Oh, I could see why. I could see why. And then Angie and I are joking. Uh, two days ago, we recorded Conservation News for our Patreon subscribers. So thank you to those folks. That uh, It was a that. party.
1: It was, our... it was fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we had so much pent up angst and energy and positivity towards negativities or <laughs> changing the world. That's out for our Patreon subscribers. You know, we talked about the walrus controversy and Netflix, our planet. Angie talked about the pangolins and the rhinos and demand in Vietnam, but there's lots of good news in there mixed in too. So if you're interested in that, you can join us on Patreon. You can listen to our cheetah episode. That's already been posted. Again, 25% of everything we raise is going to go to a conservation organization of the month that you supporters decide. And, you know, we got we some other fun stuff that we're doing on that. Also, make sure to, ch- you know, to follow us on Instagram, All Creatures Podcast, our Facebook page, our Facebook group. We're starting to really generate some good discussions. People are giving us some good recommendations that we're taking for students. Yes.
1: And if you are going to email or Facebook or Instagram us any recommendations, please click. Keep them coming. Uh, but also, if you're already on your phone or your device, if you could just go over to iTunes and give us a shout out, five or six stars. I think there's only five.
0: Um, five stars, but
1: and just, and just say a sentence or two, that would be amazing. Um, maybe even tell us in the email you did it and we'll bump you up to the priority. That's just going to really help us get more traction on iTunes and which, Will help everybody have more access to our amazing free content.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it helps us crack that top 100. Our goal is to crack that top 100 in the iTunes ranking in science. Yes. And we were getting there. We're getting there. Last I looked, we were like 132. So um, we're, we're definitely climbing out of the 700,000 podcasts. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But let's talk Bison.
1: Yes, Chris, let's talk bison. And I always like to say my husband and I have an inside joke that we like to go big or go home. And so today yes. we're in North America. So we're at home and mm. we're going big because bison are the largest mammal in North America.
0: I know. They're huge. They're huge. And I was, you know, I, I kind of know bovids and their history, but then there's the European bison. Now, for us, we're gonna kind of, kind of concentrate on this one. <laughs> You're the
1: such American
0: license. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Singing the star Spangled banner. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to focus more on the American bison, but we will, uh, drop stuff for our European listeners, which we have a huge listenership in Sweden, Germany, Q, you know, for Belgium. our Belgians and the UK, on board.
1: They're, they're, yeah, the Belgian train
0: is running hot this week. Yes. Yes. And Greece. We got mm-hmm. some listeners in Greece finally. Thank you. Thank you. So France, a you know, couple in France. Yeah, France. Yeah, for sure. And we've had some, uh you merci. know, requests for the Mercy, yes. And we've had some requests for this. Um, I just want to say Lee down in Australia, you know, Lee down there in Sydney, he gave us an exhaustive list. We're working on it, buddy. <laughs> We're working on it. It was like 10 species to cover. We've knocked out four, um, but we've got more coming. So I think Angie would put bison on our radar, despite the requests, is going back to our talk about, the importance of zoos and aquariums, and I've got a good, once I get to the history of the bison, what the trials and tribulations they went through, but I think we all were surprised. You know, we had Corbin on, you were surprised, and I was surprised looking at the data, that bison, they're actually lower than 600, but they were slaughtered, the turn of the 20th century, you know, in late 1800s, I saw numbers as low as 380 bison left, from as high as sixty million. 60 million. 180. Yeah. Yeah. But Bronx Zoo, Smithsonian Institute, they got together and they saved the species. And now we have thousands, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I think also it, it, it kind of leads into what you said, our, our theme in the American West and, you know, this human wildlife conflict that we see throughout the world. You know, we, we talked about it with grizzly bears, you know, again with bison, It just shows our history that, you know, before we started this podcast, you and I both were like, oh my goodness, what they went through is just horrific, just horrific. So
1: Yeah, it is, and it it really was, and it really is an incredible story, and I think it's one of the actual, I think it's actually considered one of America's first conservation initiatives to start Mm -hmm. this captive breeding program at the Bronx and a couple of other institutions with the goal of... Breeding them under human care and then releasing them back in the wild. And Mm. it's been very
0: successful. Very successful. Yep. Yeah. That was, that was my next point. Even though their story is horrific, but conservation optimism, things that look at, you know, plans that have worked in the past. This is a feel good story in a sense that despite being down to that low number, they're back. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Most of them are actually on ranches and being farmed to an extent, but there is a healthy wild population out there that we're going to talk about. And Angie, I want to I want to highlight an old student of ours, Carson. If you remember Carson when you know we were teaching him how to ride horses way back when, I do, of course. (laughs) Yes, he's awesome. He reached out to me this weekend, of all all weekends before we started recording, and he we're talking about bison. And cattle and grazing and rangelands and really trying to sustain our prairies and grasslands. So we, so I'm going to talk throughout the podcast. Some of the things actually he, he drove me down rabbit holes that I didn't really plan on, but it makes so much sense talking about bison.
1: I may have gone down the same rabbit hole. We shall see. It's always a <laughs> su- surprise, Chris. We never know, but yeah, no, never, I, never, never. uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, you want to stay tuned because <laughs> some things Angie, I'm still trying to get Angie on Instagram folks and she sent me some videos that I'll be posting and images. I'm My still... dear
1: friend Anna, I think she's going to make me help me however you want to say. Yes. Tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're working in the lab okay, together good. tomorrow on lunch break. Okay. She said that she will assist me. She said that there's a lot of. She could care less about the podcast. I mean, she loves us and loves our podcast. (laughs) But she says there's a lot of animals that I need to follow on Instagram. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. And she's been sending me lots of pictures,
1: and I I must agree that it looks pretty fun.
0: Oh, Instagram is the best. It's the best. It's so much fun. And And she told me that Facebook
1: is for old ladies, and I do not need to hear it. My name mixed with old lady right now. <laughs> don't,
0: don't say that. Don't say that. I know. that out? We, have like, we have a good following on Facebook. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think,
1: mean, I think that's a little harsh. I, uh,
0: once we get up to the tens of thousands, then, then we'll come back at Anna and say, see, they're not all old ladies. They're old men in there too. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So my question this week. So on Instagram and some of this has been leaking over to Facebook talking about how bears are not as dangerous as cows because we know cows kill more people in the United States per year. Those poor cows. I don't know how it happens, but it does. Don't go cow tipping people. But what about bison? Are they as dangerous? So I have some data on that. And, and my question is, maybe that selfie isn't a good idea? Question mark. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Awesome. So Angie, is your favorite. They've got horns and hooves, big shaggy coats, and then there's some differences between the, the two major species, the European and American, right? Yes. Well, first,
1: Chris, a fun fact. Uh, the European bison is also known as the wisent. And I kept reading all these articles and I'm like, what is it? A wisent. And so for all our European fans probably know that that is just another name of a European bison. But in general, I think most people know what a buffalo or bison looks like and we'll talk about uh, the difference of that here coming up really shortly but but both the American and the European bison have that distinctive shoulder hump and just a huge head just an uh, incredibly enormous. massive head with a lot of brown shaggy fur uh that is in my opinion charming I the furrier the better mm-hmm. uh the fur of course is brown in color and the hair is longer in the front than in the rear And they have horns, one of my favorites, Mm -hmm. that curve upwards and inwards with uh, sharp tips. And their hooves are black and circular in shape. And being an ungulate, they have cloven hoofs. So if you just think of two, so it makes them an even-toed ungulate or an artiodactyl, which is just a Mm -hmm. fun, dorky fact if you're an animal person like myself. (laughs) And, but between the European bison and the American bison, there are a few morphological differences, um, such that the American bison has 15 ribs, the European bison has 14, the American bison has four lumbar vertebrae, those are the lower ones, while the European has five. So that's mm-hmm. what's going to make them probably be different, but I'm not sure exactly how they did. De- it's probably genetics and morphology-based, I would imagine, what determines the difference between a species and a subspecies. But then if we narrow down into the North American species of, of bison. There's a couple different subspecies in North America. There's the plains bison and the wood bison, and we'll be grouping them together more or less.
0: Right, Andy, you're talking about the scientific name or their species name, bison, but we also call them buffalo.
1: Right. You know? That is super confusing to many people. You're yeah. not alone. Even me, I'll never forget one of my first weeks working the hoofstock barn my, uh, friend, fellow keeper, Penny was talking about how they used to have bison at the zoo we worked at, but we don't anymore. And a few sentences later, I was saying da, 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 buffalo. And she's just, she corrected me in her, in her Penny-esque type way of how wrong that mm-hmm. was. And so truth be told, uh, Bison and buffalo are used interchangeably in North America. So it's mm-hmm. okay to call them buffalo, uh, but technical, if you're technocrat, uh, they are bison. They are not what is considered mm-hmm. to be true buffalo. Uh, right. true buffalo are going to be examples of the wild water buffalo, the domestic water buffalo, the lowland anola, the tamarau. I'll talk about that a little bit in the, um, at the end of the podcast and the mountain anola.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all good points, Angie, and I'll bring it, I'll bring it up, uh, a little bit in evolution. And yeah, we had the cape buffalo that we did. Bra-
1: oh, that was a fun one. 30 pods ago. Well, those horns yeah, yeah, are yeah, nuts. I'm, those are some nuts. Uh, yeah.
0: They are bison horns are surviving not that big <laughs> compared to them. <laughs> no, not compared to the cape. They don't have the big boss, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, a couple things in size. Big. You can imagine a mature Final bowl. answer, big. The boys. Yeah, they're big. They can stand up to six and a half feet high. So taller, a little bit taller than me at the shoulder. Like, holy smokes, at the hump, six and a half feet, and then can be up to twelve and a half feet long. I mean, that's a big, big boy. Females are normally smaller, seven to ten feet or two to three meters, and about five feet high at the hump or one and a half meters, and they weigh anywhere from eighteen hundred to twenty four hundred pounds or eight hundred to a thousand kilograms. So they're big. They're big.
1: Yeah, the, two thousand pounds is really, big.
0: It's huge. 2,500. I even yeah. saw up
1: to 3,000, but I would need to fact check that. But yes.
0: <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably a fat, fat <laughs> bull. The, yeah. uh, I, what heart. I love about it too, I know, the shaggy heads is the bulls have, they get a beard, mm-hmm. you know, that grows like a foot long. And then what I really love the fact I learned, I kind of knew this, but just to, to read it again, that shaggy coat up front, because it's it's it's, heavier. Thicker up front versus the rear. That's so when there's a snowstorm or the wind's blowing, they face that direction. Mm-hmm. So it keeps them warm because they're, I'm going to post some Instagram photos this week of just some beautiful buffalo shots in the snow. Like they are just.
1: So they're basically party up front, business in the back.
0: No business in the front, party up, party. Up. Was it? I don't know. How does that go? I don't know. No, I think eighties hair up front. There you go. We're talking front. about
1: mullets. It's like in front, you look like a clean cut person.
0: So that's the rear. So that that's the party in the rear, of the business up front. <laughs> no. it's a reverse mullet. Th- they have more hair up that's front. That's what I'm saying. That's, have yes,
1: they front. have the party up front, and then their business in the back. They're clean cut in the back. And then they're more hair in the front. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Listeners settle this. Somebody this correct an
1: very important debate <laughs> for us.
0: Post <laughs> yeah, some pictures on Facebook. No one will know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh the <laughs> let's get some science. The American Bison Range, Angie, again, this these range maps break my heart. Oh my gosh.
1: I actually read this one and I didn't want to look at the map because it it oh, made my stomach drop. So
0: they were Okay, let's just start north. They were all the way up into Alaska. Yes. All the way through western and central Canada. Now the plains, they're not up in the mountains of British Columbia. Hi Jonathan, haven't heard from you in a while. Say hi. You know, hopefully he's out there hunt out there living in the woods. But you know, like Alberta, the 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 plains of Canada descending down into the lower 48 United States. A little bit here in California in our northeast corner and Idaho, but really the plains, but then they went all the way East, almost, you know, Virginia, New York, all the way, almost to the Atlantic ocean, all the way down into Georgia and Florida.
1: I read Northern you know? Mexico.
0: And then, yeah. And then you go down into Northern Mexico, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. So this is how you get the 30, 40, 50 million, 60. 60 million that mm-hmm. some predict. Yeah. Then when you look at where they are today and it breaks your heart, you know, it's little, it's like a polka dotted map, a little bit in Alaska, a little bit in Canada, and then a little bit in the United States, lower 48, you know, so it's just they, where they once dominated, they're, they're obliterated. It gets even worse for the European bison. You're talking from Northern Spain through France, Central Europe, all the way to Mongolia. So that is. Huge. huge range huge range and now they're in the wild population are in a couple parks uh between poland and belarus and then poland and ukraine so that's where they're at and that that's it that's it so you know looking at that is is disheartening but it's the sad reality for a lot of species and again we'll talk some good news in here on why care and I, th- I think this is a good shift for me to, to, to talk about really quick. A couple years ago, and this is where Carson and I were, were, were talking over Facebook. I wrote up a blog post about how grazing cattle are carbon neutral. And it was, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting read, you know, because I, I had my eye towards conservation. You'd got me working in, in conservation. I was doing my elephant work. I, I was shifting away from domestic to exotic and, and wild animals. And it really got me thinking about the importance of grazing animals on the prairie ecosystem. So this paper was talking more about, you know, grazing cattle, you know, carbon inputs and then output. If you graze them, they're arguing that the the scientific data shows that they're, they're neutral versus cows and feedlots. Cattle and feedlots are a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. I'm not talking about cow. Flotuents. I'm talking about how much grain they they eat, all the tractors, everything. That that carbon imprint is is huge. So things I took out of it was how important grazing animals are to the prairie ecosystem, as far as dropping manure. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about microbes in the soil. You're talking about trampling on grass. You know, foraging on grass species. What does that do? Spreading seeds. What about birds? Yeah, spreading seeds, parasites, you know, all these things that are part of the ecosystem. So, you know, I thought why care? Because I think grazing bison or grazing cattle may be a a step forward on preserving some of these ecosystems. And that's kind of what Carson and I are going back for on that. Oh, absolutely, Chris.
1: Bison are definitely a keystone species on the prairies. From spreading seeds of the grasses that they eat, these healthy grasses then provide homes for hundreds of birds and pollinators and deer. And therefore the deer are a nice food source for the coyote and the wolves. And it's just, they're just a h- integral part of the food chain that's endless. I also read an article that mentioned that bison are attracted to areas that have recently been burned. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it after a burn, the first thing to come in after the dust has settled are the grasses and the bison are smart enough to know, Hey, we're going to go in here and get these fresh grasses. So they come in before a lot of other species to start the regrowth process. And Mm -hmm. as we know with climate change, we are seeing more, more burn, uh, more fires, Mm -hmm. things like that. And so they potentially provide this extra niche as far as, helping reclaim the land after a burn. And yeah. then yeah. – so ecosystem role is hands down. I I could go on and on and on, but uh, it's one of the – probably because it's such a large mammal, uh, it's probably mm. – it, its role is bigger than most of them that we cover, I feel like. Um, and then you move the impact economically mm-hmm. and just – or I guess culturally. Uh, let's start with culturally first. The American bison and Native American culture is just inevitably intertwined. They were Bison have been a major source of meat and hides in the U.S. Uh, for the Native American population. And then, of course, as for the Europeans when they came in. And I think that that's a really important thing to consider for our history and our culture, uh, for those of us that are from the United States, of how integral they are.
0: Yeah. And it, I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. It's the national animal of the United States.
1: Recently, yes. Um, uh, I think, yes. so. A uh, bill passed by Congress under Obama in May 12th, 2016. The national mammal of the United States. So it joins the ranks, the majestic ranks of the bald eagle, a symbol of our country. Yep. yep. So yep. past, present and future bison paths were actually made that were made through the mountains were what the highways crews used when mapping routes Mm. out West Um, and then more currently you can find bison at several accredited zoos and of course as Chris mentioned earlier hybrid cattle bison are often raised for a source of meat and bison out in Yellowstone attract many people to partake in ecotourism and just enjoy the the greater outdoors. Which, unfortunately, I'm not one of those individuals, Chris, so gosh we're, we're darn, Yellowstone has got to be, one it, of you know. my friends just get married at Yellowstone or like make me go there or something?
0: <laughs> Here you go. You and John rent a little caravan. Well, maybe or, we know, could do, John
1: the, and I and could do our like 10 year uh, renew our vows or something like that out there. That'd be cool. Oh,
0: I'll be, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. Yeah. I'll drive up to Yellowstone. We got a
1: couple years to save our pennies, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, you bring up a, an important piece too, and it, it's an important part of their history, how Native Americans depended on bison. And when Europeans came in, one of the strategies to, you know, curtail Native Americans and basically, you know, let's get political, but wipe out the Native Americans, which is genocide, um, was to wipe out the bison. And that sure. was part of the strategy, which is, which is horrific. Yeah. I, I Now let's get back to science. I'm not going there. <laughs> I know. It, it is Chris, horrific. I, it is I got horrific. that
1: icky feeling in my stomach. Let's, it's, it's
0: the, let's go, that's, this isn't a history podcast. This you is,
1: would be good a, at that, podcast. though. You're a huge history buff.
0: I always learn a lot from you. I am. I am. So, and I just want to leave this because I, I did read a paper, and I didn't want to get too much into it because I'll put people to sleep. But it was a paper published you know, almost 20 years ago, The Keystone Role of Bison in North America Tallgrass Prairie, and this was published in Bioscience. I just want to read this quote because you were talking about their grazing and one of their conclusions was the net effects of selective bison grazing activities at the landscape patch and individual plant level include shifts in plant species composition. So, you know, what's made up of the grasses. So they go and graze certain things allowing other plants to, to grow and flourish alterations of the physical and chemical environment. That's something we always forget at the, the macro level. You know, we're always talking animals and, you species, But when you start looking at chemically what's going on in soils and things like that in the atmosphere, uh, and then they go on and say increased spatial and temporal heterogeneity and vegetation structure, soil resource availability, and a variety of ecosystem processes. Bottom line is bison are critical and continue to be critical to maintaining the plains and prairie systems of the Americas. Cattle are not bison. They can't replace that niche, but they can help fill that niche in some aspects. So, so we'll talk a little bit more towards that at the end. All right. Evolution, Angie. We already covered a lot of it in Cape Buffalo, episode 40. So I'm just going to give you the summary. The hard part is their scientific name is really hard.
1: I, <laughs> I can do this it. one.
0: <laughs> okay, you do it.
1: <laughs> bison. Bison. <laughs>
0: No, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. No, that's it. Bison, bison. I was like, "Shoot, did I? So, yeah. Did somebody trick me?" No, you did it. Perfect, perfect, perfect.
1: Now the European so, yeah, bison, forget about it. That's on you. That's
0: uh it's bison bonansis. We'll bison bonansis. Okay. So yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, and so you know the bovidae family, like Angie was saying, the buffalo. She talked about that's the genus bovulus. The genus boss, you know, that's the, uh, the the yak and the bantang and gower, those ones that domestic cattle came from, and then you have the African buffalo, which we did talk about, are their own separate gen- genus. So you can go back to that episode to listen to that. Now, bovidae. Huge group, Angie. You know, your buffalo, your antelope, wildebeest, impala, Love gazelle, them. sheep, All goats, muskox. Love them. Muskox. We got to do muskox. We have to do that. Yes. We've got to do muskox. Yes. yes. Because. We'll put that in the fall, fall, winter. Yeah.
1: Oh, that. yeah. That's a great winter species. The way, oh, their behavior, yeah. how they protect their little ones. Mm-mm.
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. And I did, I did have to read and evaluate a study a long time ago, a few years ago, looking at aging when they looked at the hairs. I'll see if I can find it. That was really cool. Um, so, 143 current species and 300 extinct species of bovidae. Wow. So, you know, bovidae, all males have horns, most females do, but again, you have differences in size. You know, bovidae goes back 23 million years, you know, branched out from giraffe species. So, antelopes were kind of, or antelope looking animal was kind of the first one. Bison appeared in North America about 200,000 years ago. Okay. There's evolution done. What I really wanted to talk about is I found a really interesting, uh, post on the timeline of the American bison. Okay, cool. Okay, So before the Europeans arrived, like I said, anywhere from 30 to 60 million, obviously we don't have a census. That's what they kind of predict, uh, there was. Okay, as the Europeans came in, our ancestors a long time ago, you know, um, I know mine came over from, you know, Europe, that as they settled the East Coast, they started, you know, pushing the bison out. Also disease, so invasive species, so horses and cattle. And for people that don't know this or remember this, remember horses went extinct 10,000 years ago in North America they were only reintroduced with Europeans in the 1500s and 1600s, okay? Right. So then the bison started getting pushed off the East Coast of the United States and Canada. In 1800, they were finally pushed out of Ohio that way. Um, in the 1820s, 1830s, that's when really the mass destruction began of the bison. And you're continuing up until the 1870s. So the 1850s, 1860s, there was still some mass slaughter, but really in the 1870s and the 1880s is when bison were just decimated. Just decimated. Going from millions to less than 300 or less than 400. So basically what they were is they were, they were giving the settlers incentives to go out and kill bison. As the locomotives were going across the American West, people would just shoot them. You know, just shoot them as they were passing. Uh, The trains, shooting, shooting from the trains. They were selling lots of buffalo meat, the horns, everything like that. So really in the early 1870s, when the slaughter reached its peak, then it was by 1884 that they estimated there was only about 325 bison left in the United States. Now there's some in Canada, right? There's some in Canada, but in the United States, the lower 48, that's all that was left. Only 25 left in Yellowstone. So in the 1880s, the Smithsonian started to want to study them. And then again, you had the Bronx zoo coming in in the early 1900s stepping in that were going to save the species. So you're starting with a low in 1900 of about 700 bison that were saved, 23 left in Yellowstone. Then by 1920, so within 20 years, there was about, it got up to about 12,500 bison left. And then today we have, you know, over five, anywhere from 500,000 or less, but a lot of those are on private ranches or farms.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's also important for this timeline to give uh, Teddy Roosevelt a shout out. Uh, he, of course, is known for being a hunter, but also a conservationist, and he helped save them from extinction. In 1883, he used to travel a lot to, to the Dakota Territory to hunt bison, mm-hmm. and Supposedly, the story goes that after spending a few years in the West, he returned to New York with a whole new outlook on life and conservation. And he helped pave the Mm. way uh, for bison conservation. In 1905, he formed the American Bison Society with William Hornaday, basically to help save the disappearing bison. So... Yeah. And the American Bison Society is still current, and I think they have a, actually a conference coming up this fall. Oh,
0: that's <laughs> so, awesome! That's awesome. Yeah, and, be fun. and yeah. so yeah,
1: just to give that, but definitely want to give him a shout out, and I think it does tell a story about not all hunters are or want to. How do I say Death this? Death and destruction. Yeah. In <laughs> just, how do, how know, do I say this politically curious, correct? Yeah. Uh, a, lot, uh, yeah. a lot of hunters and farmers and things like that are – yeah, they're conservationists. Yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. want to keep the animal yeah, yeah. around and they realize life yeah. cycles and what's going to happen if you decimate yeah. a population. I mean
0: it's something that you and I don't do and I don't – I've never gone out to shoot an animal. But in some instances, I get it. I get it. And we've got to live in harmony with nature, blah, blah, blah. Trophy hunting is a totally different discussion. Go back last year. No evidence trophy hunting does anything for conservation. End of story. Prove us wrong, please. Now, we did talk about the largest bovid, which was a bison. Bison laftifrons in North America was eight feet tall, 4,400 pounds or more, 2,000 kilograms. Huge, huge. So I went and found the smallest bovid. Do you know Miss Hoof and Horns? The smallest bovid in the world. I did not know this. Dwarf?
1: Ooh,
0: Sounds like it would be. Something, Tyrion something, Lannister. something. <laughs> <laughs> we had this big Game of Thrones discussion before. No. Oh, no. dang. Okay. I've never heard of this species. Okay. I, I haven't. I, I didn't know if you would or not. Let me see. I thought like the dick dick or something like that. No. It is the Royal Antelope of West Africa. Stands. 10 inches at the shoulder or 25 centimeters. And it's it's doing okay in the wild. So it's in Western Africa, you know, Ghana, Guinea, Liberia, around there. So weighs about six pounds, three kilograms.
1: Well, we'll have to put tiny, that on our list. The Royal tiny little West African. Yes,
0: Royal Antelope of West Africa. Royal Antelope, Royal Antelope of, West Africa. of West Africa. They are cute as a button. They are cute, 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 cute little things. I'll send me a picture. So there you later. go. I will, I will. So, uh, there's your smallest one. Now, bison can live up to twenty years, fifteen to twenty years. We talk some of their physiology. They, they excellent sense of hearing and smell. They have those large bovid noses. Don't see as well. So, I think that's you know when they get startled, they stampede. You know, that's kind of a popular thing in culture, and it's true. They do. You know that something startles them, they can't see it, they run. But they can run fast—30 miles an hour or 48 kilometers per hour.
1: I got up to 62 okay. kilometers per hour. But yeah, yeah, I heard fast. some
0: up to 40. Yeah, 40 miles per hour. Yeah, they can get that 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 fast. So they're fast. They're fast.
1: Well, and the other thing too about their eyesight, Chris, is they are um, a little nearsighted. So oh, okay. Okay. that's probably. But their their sense of smell makes up for it, and hearing, of course, and then which is they, weird, you
0: know, because the equids. Equids have pretty good sense. I mean, their eyesight, not as good as a predator, right? Or as the binocular vision that we have. Sure. But I would just think, ah, I don't know. I, I got to go into this physiology. Bison with those heavy coats, big heads, eyes to the side. So you're looking at a lot of monocular vision, which, you know, if you're, it's your peripheral. So if you're trying to think of monocular vision, you know, people, if you put your hand to the side of your head, like I'm doing on video to Angie, <laughs> I can see my hand, but that's monocular vision. I have to turn both my eyes and focus on my hand, and that's binocular vision. So a buffalo with those wide set of eyes probably has very, very narrow binocular vision, I imagine, because their mm-hmm. heads are so huge. You know, it's just so huge.
1: Well, and also, though, different from the equids, I wonder because they are such a large mammal and they mm-hmm. don't have many predators, uh, usually only the young and the very older sick are picked off by mm-hmm. wolves and things like that, that maybe their eyesight isn't as important as it would be for,
0: or is less important, I yeah. suppose, yeah. for an yeah, yeah, I don't know.
1: Somebody hire yeah, this, me this a as thing. a postdoc to figure that yeah. one out, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good hypothesis because I mean, you think about it, like they're, you look at the, the buffalo head and those eyes are really wide apart. They are. So, you know, looking at what their binocular vision would be has got to be very narrow, very narrow. Mm-hmm. It's mostly monocular vision. So that's why you're right. Eyesight isn't a big thing to them. And you're well, right. Well,
1: the other like thing too lines- is with horses, uh, we, been able to do a little bit more experimenting with what their vision is and, mm-hmm. uh, dichromatic vision, things like that, where they probably just haven't done those studies in bison, to be honest. They yeah. Look yeah. that close.
0: Yeah. No, that's true. But that's I don't true. know that for Antichromatic- sure. Without,
1: without diving into the literature, I do not know that for sure. So that is my caveat right. to that statement.
0: And you did throw in a, a very nerdy word to our listeners. Dichromatic <laughs> means they see in two colors. So really kind of a gray and green, you know, pan of colors versus, you know, we see reds and things like that. <laughs> this is like, a, I would be scared if I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And you're right. Like mountain lions, bears, wolves can, can get young and old, but.
1: Um, oh, and just also to add to their life cycle under human care, it can be up to 40 years, which that yeah, seems. Yeah, I
0: imagine. That long seems
1: time. pretty old. I mean, we know equids can live that long. With the longest living horse is fifty. My mare Rosie is gonna beat the world record. Be there?
0: I, <laughs> I told you that two years ago.
1: I know. She's thirty four <laughs> and she's better than ever. It's incredible. She's incredible. I, I have to send you. I, I'm actually gonna do like a beauty shot of her. Her her birthday's uh, this month, so I'm gonna do a beauty shot yeah. of her, uh, clean her up a little bit, and I'll send you a picture. She's she's a good looking old. She's not an old gray mare, that's I, for sure.
0: No, no. And I need, I think for the 100th episode, which is coming up, which scares me as far as trying to put this together, a best of uh, episode, but we'll, we'll see if we can do that. I just need some help from my partner to uh, find those clips or remember Negative those Negative ghost Rider. A <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Anyways, bison are year-round grazers, mainly grasses, uh, some lichens, woody plants. Uh, you know, they... What's cool about bison too with those shaggy heads during winter, you know when when it's really hard to get to some of the stuff, they use that head and they move the snow side to side to get yeah, down. Yeah, that's awesome. And get to some of that. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know they're like a snow plow. Or,
1: they have their. I'm doing motion now. They are. They yeah, yeah. That's how they they gotta clear the snow and get to the get to the good stuff.
0: Get to there. And so they eat about one and one and a half percent of their body weight per day. So mm-hmm. you know a mere hundred pounds. Ten pounds. Ten pounds. Thousand. Twenty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Doing my calculations of math. My math is not so good. Yeah, one and a half one one and a half percent is about fifteen to uh thirty pounds. If a thousand pounds, it's fifteen. Two thousand pounds, it's thirty. That's a lot of vegetation. Thirty pounds of vegetation is a lot. It's a lot. That's half a hay bale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like half one of your big hay bales, mm-hmm. right? Fifty-pound hay bale. Yeah. So and they have to drink every day, but just fun animals. What well, do they do besides eat all day, Angie?
1: Well, and it's important that they eat all day. They're, uh, they yeah, they eat yeah. about nine to 11 hours a day and they're ruminants. So they are different than edquids. And I think did we, do we, do we talk about ruminants before?
0: Yeah, a little uh, bit. I think with okay. buffalo well, and all those things, but.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so just ruminant, that's a science word for a mammal that basically can acquire nutrients from plant-based food through fermenting in a specialized stomach. Uh, It ferments this prior to digestion through microbial actions, Mm -hmm. right? So they've got a lot of gut microbes that are their buddies and they do it in their stomach. So it's called foregut fermentation. And the word ruminant comes from the fact that as they are ruminating, they regurgitate some of the cud that they've chewed. And then swallow it, it sounds back. So it's just a process of rumination. so
0: delicious. It's so delicious.
1: I know, it's, it's stinky. Like, I've seen some drop. It's okay. It's just chewed up grass.
0: And gastric juice.
1: But with the ruminants, yeah, a little, you know, a little bit, a little bit of acid never hurt anybody. Uh, uh, don't edit that out. <laughs> that didn't sound keep right. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> no, but I actually, I had a fun mm-hmm. one for you, uh, for all the listeners to give me 30 seconds to dork out about mm-hmm. ruminants. It's just that their stomachs are so cool. They're uh divided into four chambers to help this ruminating process of microbial fermentation. So Chris, I was wondering if you could name me the four chambers.
0: Uh, You did you did this to me. You did this to me last time we covered it. The the
1: I did not. I might have I don't know.
0: You did. And I'm such a good student as I Google it real quick. The four oh,
1: I can see. No, wait, Googling wait, my phone's there, not working. <laughs> Come on. You can name at least I can't one. Remember. The one 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 starts with it's, like uh, what they're doing. What
0: well, their mass Starts with an R. Rumination, the the rumen, the
1: Okay they no they have well, the rumen. The rumen, rumen yeah. Uh,
0: the reticulum. The
1: other R ones, the reticulum. Yeah, and
0: then you had that mm-hmm. that abomasum right? What is it in order? Uh-huh. Reticulum, abomasum, omasum, and that's
1: it. I don't know if that's the order. Rumen,
0: uh, reticulum, omesum abomasum. Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: You'll have to Google the order okay, to double me... check. I, I'm not that fancy. It's been a while since I've taken it. Then why time. are you
0: asking me, teacher? <laughs> you're, trying to, you're supposed to have the answer in front of <laughs> you. I wasn't you. asking you. That's the... what I do. I put my, I put my no, answers in front I... of me. Then I ask you the question, so then I can stump you.
1: Oh, well, that's why that's why you're the senior
0: uh professor. Senior I'm just older. That's all. just say I'm older. I'm just older. It's <laughs> it. Uh, not by much, but I'm older.
1: Yes. Uh, uh not older, uh what's the word? Wiser. Um uh
0: you're wiser. Yeah, yes,
1: you perhaps uh not dated. Dated? Um, I'm dated. I'm now. Jesus, late like
0: here. here. No, I like, got. Uh, really let's go into uh, behaviors what, what? I,
1: yeah, we should just, yeah, 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 yes, yes, I can't,
0: <laughs> it's been a long, it's, uh, it's been a long right, day. Gotcha. Okay. All right, enough, enough calling me old man. <laughs> what did they, I asked you before. before that's me.
1: not the term I was looking for, it was a distinguished, I think it was distinguished. There you
0: go, distinguished. That's okay. what it was. So, activity budget, you said they graze 11 hours of the day, so what did they, that's, that's not very much yeah, actually. Yeah, 9 to
1: 11 hours. Yeah. No, it's not as much as what we're used to seeing in horses being up to sixteen. And what's cool, Chris, is when they travel, they form a line, and the traveling pattern is determined by the terrain and the weather or habitat conditions. And what's really interesting—I love this—an adult cow, that's what I would be considered, uh, supplies the leadership, mm. so the female, yeah, the mm. cow survives. I the see leadership. that your
0: house
1: and that
0: your house. <laughs> yeah. John will never yeah. listen to this.
1: D- depends on the topic. Yeah. <laughs> depends on the topic, but yes. Uh, they also do a behavior called wallowing, which mm-hmm. is very common in bison. That's just where they wallow and shell depressions roll on the ground in the soil. Sometimes, uh, to get wet, sometimes to cool off, and, sometimes to give themselves what we consider dust. And bath. they shed
0: too, right? In the summer, they shed that, that heavy coat a little bit. Yeah. So I think that does, that adds to some of it too. It helps yeah. get yeah. it off.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's really itchy. But yeah, anybody who's worked with uh, livestock yeah. knows. Just like your dog Mm -hmm. or cat at home, they get itchy, Mm -hmm. right? And they're great swimmers. That was interesting to me. And, of course, as you mentioned, good runners Mm -hmm. Uh, probably can't outrun a bison. Nope, nope. And looking at some of the Yellowstone uh, websites, I thought this was interesting from a behavior point of view, is you can judge a a bison's mood by a tail. Yeah. So I'm you more used to horses. We can judge what their mood is or what they're thinking by their ear behavior. Uh, but with a bison, it's the tail. And so when it hangs down and it's just switching naturally, they're mm-hmm. calm and happy. But if, this, if the tail stands up and is like erect, watch out. That's usually charged. You're up. right.
0: And if for anybody that's interested in horse behavior, there's a great book on Amazon it's called the handbook of horses and donkey donkeys introduction to ownership and care. And it's this great author. This guy really knows what he's talking about. He has really great pictures of he's so distinguished. <laughs> There's actually Angie's photos in it too. So you can get my book on Amazon if you're interested and Romeo. Yes. Uh,
1: he made the uh, cut. It's only, it
0: only took me a couple of years to put that together, but anyways, yeah, behavior is amazing. It's fun.
1: You should be, you should be very accomplished. I probably don't give you enough credit about that. I try to write a few a few reviews mm-hmm. like so we're talking like six pages that's taking me half yeah. this year yeah. I, I don't have no i have no idea hey, how you hey, Angie, how about book, you do me so. a favor
0: and write a review when i get amazon, distinguished
1: maybe i'll be able to write a book
0: can you write a review on amazon for me on that book please <laughs> are you able to just bought the dang book i think i have like two reviews on there <laughs> so. yeah absolutely i need absolutely. to beg for reviews on there it's a good yeah book. anyways okay so so behaviors so they all that stuff
1: yes and then uh, well the other thing that, uh, the other thing that's iconic about bison is they are gregarious as it comes very social they're arranged in groups according to their sex age uh, whatever season it is habitat groups can be con- composed of cows uh, males under three of age or maybe, maybe even some older males and they can live in smaller herds larger herds, Just it's all over the map. When their breeding season comes or rut, we'll talk about that here in a second. A lot of bulls may or males, more males will enter the group and dominance between bulls is linear. So what that means is bulls that have a higher rank will breed more than those with lower rank. And same thing for cows. They also have a linear dominance hierarchy, which is established earlier in life.
0: It's interesting. Just when you talk about the herds, my, my mind goes back to an all time classic, Dances with Wolves and came back a long time ago, but it was an Academy Award winning film. The, oh,
1: it's such a great movie. The bison
0: scenes are just so amazing. And you know, I, I got to go back and watch it. I don't know the special effects, how well it carries over to today, but the imagination of them watching following that large herd and then the hunt and everything, but just to see them, it's just, wow. Wow.
1: Right. Yeah. To just look across the plane and see millions hundreds or hundreds of yeah, hundreds. It's like
0: thousands upon thousands. Yeah. You know? I don't know what the, the herd size thousands. Would be Yeah. Thousands upon thousands.
1: Well, in part of their herd mentality is they use this great sense of smell to detect danger and they can hear very well. And so then they'll communicate by either charging or fleeing. They, are more of a charging-type animal than a fleeing-type animal. That's also how they differ from horses, right? A horse is typically going to run away mm-hmm. from a problem. Uh, bison may run towards it <laughs> uh, and charge it because they have the horns and that big old head, and they're super big and super mm-hmm. strong. Bison can communicate through all sorts of different sounds, such as grunts and snorts. One of their more infamous sounds is called a bellow. And Chris, I'm going to play a clip, but I think – John and I have a new challenge to see who can be a better bison bellower.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) He's actually frantically cleaning the house because our in-laws are coming this week. (laughs) (laughs) Or my in-laws, his his family. Do he want to do a bison off? (laughs) Well, maybe not today because I don't think he knows how to do it. He didn't work with bison. So it's something that,
0: uh,
1: it's something we'll crack. Yeah. We'll probably in our free time, like, Normal people talk about sports or the weather. We'll have uh, bellowing <laughs> contests, <Bison. laughs> and then bison bellowing contests, and we'll let you know who's better. Uh, Xander, so here it is. Xander, wind. Xander, oh yeah, wood. yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, Zach, mm, he's he's yeah, really he's uh, coming. Oh, his he's really. Let's just say he's uh two and a half, and really finding his voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I
1: know, I know. It's fun. He's stalking so much. It's pretty cool. But okay, here we go. Bison Bellow.
0: It sounds like my stomach about now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like,
1: I love it. I would oh man, yeah. to be out in Yellowstone at a very safe distance and to hear that that would be mm-hmm. so
0: cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, the, love vocalizations, you know, reproduction, you know, big herds, what gestations, what? I want to go 8 months, 9 months for buffalo.
1: Yeah, well, I always the story I tell and when I'm teaching it is cows in general, bovines are similar to humans, so we're nine months or so. The gestation is 285 days, so that's a little over. That's like nine and a half months-ish, mm-hmm, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they're seasonal breeders, and so rutting, or when the male comes into his, his high testosterone levels, and so he will be way more active, sh- show off his stuff, um, and be more dominant, and also sometimes go off food that's going to happen in june through september with peak activity in july and august. and so at that time because the rut the testosterone's so high, older boy, bulls in the herd are going to fight younger ones and there can definitely be a it can be a dynamic time in the herd probably if you like to watch wildlife, probably a great time to go to yellowstone plus the weather. uh because there's a lot there's a lot of restlessness during this time. um but with that in mind, Always, always, always be careful around bison if you are viewing them in the wild, especially during rut, uh, rut or the breeding season, because the animals are unpredictable, dangerous, and one person even described them as belligerent. Which I don't know. That's yep. like a human yeah. word for somebody who's drank too much. So I don't know about that word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but. Just stay away. Stay, stay away, away,
1: yes. And so, but basically a dominant bull will, um, court his female through different behaviors such as sniffing genitals um face to face lip curls right the flehmen response uh walling wallowing behaviors will increase to show i guess how tough they are uh the tail might be held high in like a question mark fashion uh to indicate mm-hmm. that they want to challenge um that they're threatening or want to challenge another bull and so but basically once a male finds a receptive female He'll keep other male he'll keep other males away from her. But what's important to point out too is females don't really sexually mature until they're two to three years. And bulls, mm-hmm. however, aren't going to breed probably successfully until they're about six. So mm-hmm. which makes them larger, right? That gives them the big size, right. so they're gonna be more competitive. Um, which I think is much more unique to compared to some other bovid species as far as their generation mm-hmm. life cycle. But a female cycle is seasonally polyesterous and it's gonna happen every three weeks or so, about 21 days, and estrus can last anywhere. So when she is receptive for the male, it's actually a pretty short window compared to other species that we talk about a lot in the podcast, being horses. Their estrus may last a couple of days when they are receptive to a male, but a cow, which is always something interesting to learn in cow reproduction, that estrus window is really short. It can be as short as nine hours to 28 hours for the male to get mm. his job done, and then when he does get his job done, nine and a half month pregnancy. Bison are typically born as singletons. So one baby at a time. And bison are born away from the herd in a location that has a lot of cover. And similar to most ungulates or bovine species, calves can pretty much immediately walk and run within a few hours of being born. And as a physiologist, that just is always so impressive to me when I see that. Horse or that calf to stand up within two hours. And I'm looking at my kid and I'm like, geez, you're 10 months. What's it
0: took you a long time? Yeah. <laughs> what are do you doing
1: over time. here? Actually, no, yeah. especially with my second one, I'm like, please don't walk. Please don't walk. I'm so no, busy. Cause once they start crawling, it's game over, but then walking as well. Uh, so no. yes, mama, yeah. uh, mama bison cow has to, you know, she's got that, that little one walking, running around here, pulling on her teats. Within the first hour or two of life. So she's a good mama. Yeah. And but a fun little fact is the calves are born red. So they're not as brown as mom and dad. And they begin turning brown after two and a half months. But they're they're known as a red dog, and that's a baby bison. A red dog. So because mm-hmm. they're uh, they're red, and they're and the babies are typically born. The calves are typically born in late March through May, so if the weather's nice, the grasses are up. And Chris, when a calf is born, it's weighs anywhere from 15 to 25 kilograms, which, for as large as they are, I was actually surprised because that's a lot w- less weight than a typical foal when a foal is born.
0: Yeah, yeah, foals 100 pounds on 80 to 100 pounds probably on average. Yeah, so a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then mama's gonna nurse the calf for a long time and they're not fully weaned until the end of the first year
0: now looking at conservation you know the the, the two species american bison are near threatened so you know they have rebounded um, which is nice
1: yeah the, they say that the population stable uh, with numbers between 11 and thirteen thousand?
0: right and that's probably the wild population i've seen other estimates of of up to 500,000, I don't know, you know, between Canada and the U.S. And and that those are probably on ranches. Sure. Or, you know, the beefalo mm-hmm. and, well, and crossbreds
1: and, that's, that's,
0: and things like that. I won't
1: that. go t- into too much detail uh, unless a mm-hmm. listener really wants us to. But I, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole that I went down as far as bison farming is uh, mm-hmm. for their mm-hmm. meat, right? If, if you've been at a restaurant, you've probably heard of a gourmet bison burger so I want to understand mm-hmm. that and how that influences or doesn't influence or hinders conservation. I couldn't find too many resources on it, but it is estimated that, yes, there's about 500,000 buffalo, if you will, or bison um, in North America, and about 90% of them, which works with the math for the most part, are raised on ranches for meat production.
0: The true wild bison is probably what we're looking at with the IUCN yes, numbers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think as far as the farming bison goes, they've been somewhat genetically um, altered uh in some instances as far some crossbreeding mm-hmm, as yeah, far as adding a little bit yeah. of domestic cow in there. You mentioned the beefalo, um, but mm. even still the bison that are are farmed I think have slightly different genetics than the, than the ones that are um, truly wild. In the wild. So, but it, it is really interesting because it just, it made me wonder how this influences conservation. And there's, there's a couple different ways to look at it, depending on how the animals are farmed and raised. If they're farmed in a commercial feedlot setting, as Chris already mentioned previously on the podcast, that that's where there's going to be a lot higher, Carbon emissions, but on some of these ranches, mm-hmm. um, I know like Ted Turner has one in Montana, uh, that they are just out on the plains for the most part.
0: Well, well, what you're, you're, you're alluding to is, and this is what Carson and I have been kind of going back and forth with the last couple of days.
1: Oh, good. They're so we did go down holistic, the same rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. And this kind is of. called holistic management and it's, so the data. So I. I didn't I know there up was a term. Talking but, about. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what you're alluding to. He, you know, I opened up with how bison are are good for the prairie system. I found another article that said no, they don't matter. That they're not impactful, and this idea of holistic management isn't good for grazed ecosystems, or isn't that critical? So there's a debate, which is good. That's science, right? We debate. And we need more about the bottom line is there needs to be more research on the benefits of grazing cattle and bison and sheep and these other things on these grasslands to see the impact. Now, again, this isn't climate change. There is no debate in climate change. You know, 97% of climate scientists agree. This is a debate in ecologists, you know, plant specialists, ecosystem people that study this. And then, you know, people that, that are helping bison and, and try to feed, you know, millions of people. So anyways, I think it's something to, to revisit because when you talk about yellowstone and culling, you know, they have to call them because we, we've talked about wolves and how wolves have helped promote a healthy ecosystem there. And too many bison and too many elk and too many deer is, is bad for a lot of other species. So it, it's, it's a definitely a discussion that we're going to, we're going to talk about, especially when we get to wolves uh, that will be coming up at some point in the future. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about, you know, the impacts of all of these animals, you know, not just the macro size, large animals, but the little things in the, in the dirt, the, the insects, those things too are important. So you talked about the American Bison Society. Is that who you're going to talk about today?
1: So this week I want to highlight the American Bison Society, ABS. They can be found at www.ambisonsociety.org. Uh, it was established by the Director of the New York Zoological Society, which is now the Bronx Zoo, uh years ago, over 100 years ago. And in 2006, the society's been reestablished by the Wildlife Conservation Society, which we really we really need to uh get an interview with that group. They're they're a wonderful conservation society that do many things, and so obviously the bison is just part of it. And the society helps support different groups, one of them being the Bison, bison Specialist Group, uh, which has two units to discuss issues with the European bison, which I think Chris and I didn't mention, but the European bison, uh, their numbers, they don't have a population count, but they're listed as vulnerable. So they need, obviously, a fair amount of help. Um So the Bison Specialist Groups, focuses on European bison, but then of course on North American bison as well. And they have a, we have a, they have a North American bison specialist group to help contribute to the development of comprehensive and viable strategies on how to manage these guys and how of course to improve conservation and achieve ecological rest- restoration. Uh And so, yeah, they have a great website and you can see all, if you want to, Check out what's happening with bison lately. They have uh, a news section full of really interesting articles that I've, of course, dorked out on for a while. So anyways, check out the American Bison Society, and you, you definitely won't be disappointed. And I'd also like to give a shout out to um, to one of our one of All Creatures podcast, one of our favorite conser- uh, conservation groups, the Global Wildlife Conservation, they can be found at globalwildlife.org. Uh, we've done a couple wonderful interviews with Dr. Long, who is one of their conservation program officers and expertise in Asian species from that group. But one of the several species that they support, the GWC, is the tamara. The tamara, which is just a most charming, cutest looking, uh, Cattle, wild cattle species you've ever seen, uh, they are critically endangered. Their numbers are between two and three hundred at last count. So the GWC Global Wildlife Conservation is working with IUCN Asian Wild Specialist Group to protect these guys and how, and and how best to conserve wild cattle, especially like the Tamaraw. And there's a group of all these experts that come together and strategize different conservation techniques to keep these two to 300 Tamaraws living. And hopefully in the near future, I'm going to have Dr. Long or one of his colleagues do an interview uh, because I think we most people have never heard of a Tamaraw, T-A-M-A-R-A-W. So I want to try to highlight that species as much as possible. So hopefully there'll be an interview or a pod about that soon.
0: And that's good, you know, leads me into conservation tips of the week and I'm going to keep hammering this for now and that's just reducing our carbon footprint because that is really what we're looking at with bison, the importance of bison in maintaining prairie ecosystems and looking at their carbon footprint, you know, as far as potential quote-unquote farming or whatever. So again, that that carbon footprint print calculator I will put out on our show notes. See where you're contributing, see where you can reduce it and the tip this week, I've said it before, so I'm going to highlight it again, is reuse and recycle. So it's been estimated that close to 30% of all of U.S. in the United States greenhouse gas emissions, and this is probably true for many countries, results from the quote-unquote provision of goods. So that means the resources it takes to, to build or package things, manufacture them, transport them, and their final disposal. So a third, also a third of all greenhouse gases are, are for those goods. So if you buy reusable products or if you go to a mom and pop place or a, you know, like here in the United States, we have Goodwill. I know the op shops that down in New Zealand, I'm, I think in Australia, they're called that, you know, where you can go in and, and buy used items, you know, and reuse them, refurbish them. That does a lot to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So those are little things that you don't think about that you could do. And you find some really good stuff. You know, I'm talking to people that, you know, when I I had an air conditioner go out of my old house in Florida, the old stuff was built really well. This new stuff coming out is built really bad, at least the stuff of the United States. So if you can go find some of these old wooden chairs, desks, things like that, and buy them from a used store, You'll be doing a lot to help conserve the environment. So Angie, the last thing we talk about when bison attack. Dun, 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 dun. So in. Here's the data I found.
1: I'm just okay. gonna say this: I don't think you should take selfies with bison. <laughs> I've learned that. If
0: no, that's,
1: if I've learned anything this uh, week preparing yes, for no. the bison podcast, it is no, that's, that's don't do that. That's silly. That you're you're asking for death. Yeah, please.
0: and that's where. In the media – well, no, not really. There's not, it, it, very low, very low uh, percentage of, of being killed by a bison, but hurt. Hurt. Is, sorry. Maybe hurt not – yeah, I was, I was a little over dramatic. Yeah. No, yes. no, no. Okay, so – no, but in the United States, the greatest chance of being attacked, quote unquote, is in Yellowstone Park, and it's not the animal's fault. People are getting as close as they can to take selfies within five, six feet of a 2,000 pound bison. Like, Duh. Do not get that close to them, period. Don't do it. And people get, go; they get thrown in the air, the bison comes. So what happens usually is the bison will get upset, charge, throw you, hook you and throw you in the air and run off back to the herd. They're not stomping and driving people in the ground, things like that. The park rangers at Yellowstone tell tourists to stay 25 yards minimum from the bison. Okay and there have been things in the media where bison have trampled tourists because they get too close so i did find 20 years worth of data from yellowstone and during that that time frame close to 79 people were injured from bison only one person died and over that time two people were killed by bears in yellowstone in 1984-1986 so it's very rare to you know bear attacks very rare for bison to attack. They don't attack unless you get really close to them. So don't do it. Okay. So thank you. You know, go check us out on Patreon. If you, you know, our news is out there, the cheetah episode. The cheetah out there. episode is
1: really awesome. I love their behavior. <laughs> some yeah, of their good good some of their post-breeding we, behaviors are hilarious. The females.
0: Yeah. we've We've got another big species for our Patreon subscribers coming out in a couple weeks. Um, but share this episode. Share, share knowledge. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with the new species.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hooked and Horns Are Awesome, American Bison. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.